Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us a faith of inestimable value that you call more valuable than gold. Pray that we would hold this faith dear to ourselves and close to our hearts, that it would form us to live lives that glorify you, that we may persevere to the end. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Growing up, my grandfather had this little box of fishing hooks. I think if you're into crafting, it was in what, what's called a shadow box. If you're not into crafting, I don't know why I know that, except that I think <laughs> I've been given one. But he had these fishing hooks in this little box hung on the wall in his bedroom. And I always wondered about them, and I always thought they were kind of beautiful. And finally, one day, I think this is the story, and if my parents are watching for some reason and it isn't, don't tell me my memory is wrong. Um, I very much want this to be the story, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. One day, he grew up in the Depression, and he went out fishing, and he had caught a bunch of fish, and he was going home to his family's house, and he met these two hobos, I think they were called, and they said, oh, we'll give you these hooks if you give us some of your fish. And so he traded the fish and the hooks, and he ended up with this little collection of beautiful fishing hooks, which he left hanging in his bedroom. And I have vivid memories of this thing hanging up on the side wall of their bedroom. For whatever reason to my grandfather, these hooks were valuable. Whether it was a reminder of what he had been through in, a ch in his childhood, a reminder of the blessings that he had been received, I'm not entirely sure. But they held a special value for him, such that he wanted to be able to see them in his room every day. For myself, I have a clock that is actually my grandfather's clock, and, and sort of a grandfather clock. But my dad made three clocks. He made one and he gave it to his brother. He made another and gave it to his mother, or to my mother, his wife. And then he made a third and gave them to his parents. And then when they died, I received that clock. And that clock has moved from Maine to California to North Carolina to here. And it just keeps moving around with me. And it's the one thing that I always like pack really carefully and make sure it's in perfect condition whenever it moves. And as I tell these stories, I'm guessing that perhaps in your mind you're like, oh yeah, I have this or I have that. This, this one thing that you, whenever you move, wherever you go, you make sure that you keep with you, that you keep in good condition because it reminds you of your childhood, reminds you of your grandparents, it reminds you of something precious. St. Peter this morning tells us that our faith is even more precious. Our faith is more precious, more valuable than gold. But he starts with this statement, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise God for this faith which we have been given. And in fact, he is blessed because of our faith, not because we've done something within ourselves, but because when we worship him and work within him, live within him, it glorifies him and he delights in that working. Blessed be the Lord God, our Father, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the great mercies he has caused to be born again 
to a living, caused us to be born again to a living hope. One of my favorite Christmas movies, which is full of awful theology, by the way, so just watch it because it's really delightful, is It's a Wonderful Life. And I think most of us know that movie. Jimmy Stewart plays this man, George Bailey, who's kind of this local hero, but he doesn't really realize he's a local hero. And he, and he has this sort of arch nemesis, and they go head to head off and on. And finally, the arch nemesis convinces him his life is worthless, and he goes to a bridge to jump off. And all of a sudden, he notices this man in the water, who, of course, is the sort of other hero of the movie, Clarence the Angel, which that's where the theology starts to get really bad, by the way. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. But he, instead of jumping in to take his life, he jumps in to save Clarence. And then they're warming up in the hut. And you know this scene, it really kind of gets funny, because Clarence is like, well, I was in the water to save you. And, and George is like, no. <laughs> I jumped in because you were drowning. And Clarence is like, no, no, I was in the water because I knew you were going to jump in and you were going to try and kill yourself. So I jumped in so that you would jump in to save me, and you saved me, and now I saved you. Okay. <laughs> and, and of course, we know kind of the backstory, and that Clarence really was there to save George and show him how valuable his life really is, how wonderful his life really is. But our salvation is kind of like that. I suspect that at least some of us can remember the person who told us about Jesus or the person who modeled beautiful faith for us. Maybe it was your parents or your friend or maybe a priest or a pastor that took you under their wings. You remember that moment or that time where your faith started to develop into something beautiful. But behind the scenes, God is working in that. And that's what St. Peter is telling us, that God, has been that God has caused us to be born again. God has planted us in us that seed. God has tended to our hearts. God has made us his own. And this invites us into something deeper, invites us into making sure that our faith is God-centered. Our faith is centered around not the people of our faith, but God himself. Because so often we tend to hold that person up. Oh, this person told me about Jesus. And then it almost makes them like a mini, mini savior. But we also do that in the church. And I was thinking about that in particularly when it comes to the art of preaching. The pulpit is an important symbol. Each and everything in our church is an important symbol, but I won't get distracted by that, I promise. The pulpit itself, though, is an important symbol because it's a symbol of borrowed authority. It's not my authority. It's not the church's authority. But God has given the church the authority, and then the church has given me authority to go through and preach the word. And the pulpit reminds us of that. The pulpit says, this is the place where you take seriously, you come into it, and you preach the word fervently and well. The pulpit is a symbol of that authority that is borrowed because it ultimately is God's authority, not my authority, not any other human institution's authority, but God's authority that we come to, that we exegete the word from, that we spill out the word from. And so ultimately, this reminds us that I will fail you, that your spouse will fail you, that your friends will fail you, but God will never fail you. And so we anchor our faith, not in another person or even an institution, but in Christ alone. 
Because it is through Christ that God has called us to be born again. And born into a living hope. Not a hope that is dead or without any other without any hope beyond that, but a living hope, a hope that is alive because Christ who has died has also risen from the dead. And we share in that resurrection. And in that resurrection, in that spiritual resurrection which we receive until the last day when we will be bodily raised, we receive an inheritance. It's interesting that he says that we receive an inheritance, isn't it? If you stop and think about it. There's, there's a country song. I like country. I get made fun of for liking country. <laughs> I know other people like country, so I'm, I'm with you on that. There's a really bad country song that's about this guy that meets a guy at a bar, and they kind of befriend themselves, and then he finds out, oh, I inherited all his money. I hate to break it to you. That's not going to happen. <laughs> You're not going to inherit money from some stranger that you meet somewhere along the lines. If you ever inherit something, you inherit it from your family. Your, your money is passed down to your children, and then if they do well, that's passed down to their children, and so on and so forth. Inheritances aren't just kind of strewn out to different people. And so the fact that St. Peter says we are given an inheritance tells us something really interesting, that we have been adopted through Christ. It reminds us of that fact that each and every one of us has been made sons and daughters of God the Father through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to describe this inheritance as incorruptible, undefiled, and unfailing. I can't think of any other thing in the world that one can describe as incorruptible, undefiled, and unfailing. There are lots of good and beautiful things in this world, but they will break down eventually. But our inheritance in Christ will never fail. It is nev will never be corrupted. It will never be defiled. It will never fail. As I was preparing for this, I started thinking about this question of those people who once were, seemed really strong in the faith and now seem less strong for one reason or another. And, it, and it's troubling because I think we probably all at least have a friend from college or an adult child or something along that line that really seemed to be on the right track and then they all of a sudden became not faithful. And people are like, well, did they fall away? What happened? And we don't know what happened within that person, but we do know the next part of this passage who by the power of God are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. God's power guards our faith. And the other part of it is that Christ never abandons anyone. He doesn't get upset and finally just like throw up their hands like we do with the unfaithful friend. He stands by that friend to the end whether it's waiting for them to come back or, or continually saying, come back, come back, my friend. He stands by them. But more than that, the power of God is working in our lives. It's not that we build our faith and make it better, but it's that God's power is firming up our faith day in and day out. And I think as, as 
St. Peter is writing this, I can't help but think that perhaps he remembered that most awful night of his life. The night that I'm sure he looks back on as the most shameful night, and yet each and every one of us knows of, where he denied his friend Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Three times he was asked, aren't you his friend? And three times he said, I never knew him. But Christ doesn't abandon him, does he? If we look to the end of that, of the Gospel of John, we see that Christ comes to him again and asks him a question three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know that I love you. Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter, in his denial, was not abandoned, and we will never be abandoned. How valuable is that faith? Peter then turns and says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Rejoice, he says, even in suffering. And that can sound really awful, because he doesn't, but he doesn't say... You won't face suffering. You won't face hardships. He says you're going to face hardships, but persevere through that. And if we know that God the Father has adopted us and made, him, made us his own, is there anything in this world that we cannot face? Is there anything in this world that can shake us if our foundation is set not on human institutions? not on our own motivation, but on God, is set on that foundation, there is nothing in this world that can shake us. But then Peter gives us a reason for this suffering. This is my wedding ring. It's probably the only piece of jewelry that I will ever wear. I don't like wearing jewelry. But when we were researching rings, we learned that there are all kinds of different carrots that you can buy gold. And I you know, was like, well, that's weird. What is the difference? And why is this one so much more expensive than that one? And it has to do with the purity of the gold, right? Probably a lot of you know this, and I you know, would have forgotten it, but I was like, oh, that's actually useful to know. But it has to do with the purity of gold. So even this ring, which I think was 18 carats? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Glad Julie doesn't remember either. <laughs> but even this ring, as, as beautiful and precious as it is to me, isn't pure gold. But what St. Peter says here is the following. Though you have, uh, sorry, so you are tested, so that the tested genuineness of your faith it's really interesting as you read that, and a little bit is lost in the translation that we use, but that word tested has to do with the purifying of metal, the wiping away of imperfections in that metal. And so when we go through these sufferings, whatever they are, as hard or as easy as they may be, it is a purifying. It is making us more able to trust in God each and every day. It's purifying us so that it will be those that our faith 
because it is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire and may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at the coming of Jesus Christ. So our faith is purified. And he says in here, basically, that all will perish. Even, even gold will eventually perish. If you leave gold in water, running water for long enough, it'll perish, it'll disappear, it'll go into little specks into the water downstream. Everything that we know one day will be wiped away. But our faith and the thing that we put our faith in will never, ever perish. But there's a goodness in that wiping away as well. One of my favorite things, as many of you know, to do is go hike and disappear into nature for a little while. And sometimes I get kind of lost in the beauty of it all. And we even have kind of beautiful views out of our windows, right? At least those windows. Not so much those windows. (laughs) And we don't deny that there is incredible beauty in this world. But that beauty will be recreated, recreated into what it was supposed to be, which is way more beautiful than we can ever possibly imagine. So things will perish, and we know that things will perish. But our faith firmed in God the Father will never, ever perish. And that faith is placed in Christ, who though we have not seen him, we know him. He writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, have not, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Yet again, as I read this, I can't help but think, as Peter is writing or dictating this letter to his friend, that he's thinking back to maybe Thomas, or maybe just the joy of walking with Jesus and enjoying his company. But perhaps of Thomas, his friend, who didn't believe, who then had the opportunity to touch the wounds of Jesus, who put his hands into the womb and made the most perfect proclamation, my Lord and my God, who then believed. But we do not have that privilege, and yet we believe, and yet we know Jesus. And that knowing leads to a joy that is more deep than we can imagine, more delightful, more inexpressible than any joy that we will ever know in this life. And there are many joys. The joy of knowing that somebody loves us. The joy of holding our child for the first time. There are joys that are inexpressible. And yet this joy of knowing Christ is deeper. And I think to a certain extent, perhaps for many of us, we won't fully realize that joy until we do see him face to face in eternity. And in that knowing of Christ, we are filled with his glory. The outcome of all this faith we learn is salvation. Salvation which leads to citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. We obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, entering into the kingdom of heaven. 
And we talked about last week how, the God, how this little epistle of Peter is there to firm up the faith of the believers in Asia Minor. Because he knows that they're going to hit hardship. He knows that they're going to have hard times. And yet he says, you have been given something better. And these hard times will make that thing that you have been given all the better for the future. And so, because our faith, as we've seen, is valuable, our joy is great. And our faith is valuable because our God is great. So then, as we go through this life, what can possibly dissuade us from this faith? What can dissuade us from walking and knowing Christ? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.